Hey there, I'm Leah Party, and you're listening to Bare Naked Soul, a podcast where we have real, uncensored conversations about the things we aren't supposed to talk about. Let's break all the rules and shed all the programming that's ever made us feel weak, scared, and caused us to shrink ourselves. It's time to live uncaged, freely expressing ourselves and manifesting our dreamiest, juiciest, and most pleasure-filled lives. Let's do the damn thing. Hello and welcome back to Bare Naked Soul. Oh, this episode is probably my favorite interview I've ever done. It is probably the most like bold interview, the most things that are controversial have come up. Just really, really real conversation between me and Viola Hug. And she is incredible. She's someone that I've looked up to for a long time. I was in a mastermind of hers recently. I share all about that in the episode that you'll be listening to shortly. But before we dive in, I have a very special announcement. Heal Breathwork Academy is open for enrollment. This is my program where you become a certified breathwork facilitator. And teaching breathwork is something where it's like, how could I possibly get paid to do this? So last night I did a breathe and flow workshop, which is my monthly workshop where we combine breath work with journaling and intuitive dance. And it's just these tools that have just transformed me so much that I love to fuse together. And it was just so transformational, even for me, like being there and being able to, to participate with everyone. Um, was incredible. If you want to check that out, it's in the breath portal. The link to that will be in the show notes. There's a seven day free trial. So you can hop in there and check it out. Um, this is my breath work membership portal, but it's just crazy. Every single time I do a breath work, whether it's like a one-on-one with someone, whether it's, um, a group, whether it's a workshop, whether it's in person, I'm just like, how am I being paid to do this? This is a gift to me, like how grounded I feel after and how at ease I feel. So yeah, it's a really it's a really purposeful thing to be able to do. So if that calls to you, if you've been having this inkling of like, maybe I'm meant to do some energy healing as part of my career or my whole career, maybe I'm meant to start a business around this, maybe I'm a therapist and I want to infuse breath work with my clients, check out Hill Breathwork Academy. Um, it's on sale now. The link is in the show notes and um, my messages or my my DMs, my inbox is always open for questions you guys have. It's five weeks long. It's fully self-paced. So you go at your own pace. You can spend three hours or so a week and in five weeks you'll be certified and you have the content for life. You have lifetime access to not only Hill Breathwork Academy, but also the Breath Portal. So you can continue to use it for your own transformation, and you can always revisit the certification program as I update it over time. You also get a Facebook group that includes alumni as well as current students, which gives you just so many resources to pull from and so much networking. It's just really, really beautiful, and I truly believe that the value of this program is, is incredible, and I'm so I'm so grateful to be able to offer this. So any questions that you have, you can shoot them to me by email. You can message me on Instagram. And I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Viola. Okay, you guys, I have a special guest with me today, Viola Hug. 
She is so incredible. She's someone that I've followed for a long time. I started listening to her podcast last summer when a friend recommended her to me. And the reason I think I'm so drawn to her is her realness, her willingness to like put it on the table and be unfiltered. And it's just, it's pretty magical. She, yeah, I'm just obsessed with her podcast and her. And I recently was um, a client in her Pay What You Can Mastermind, which we'll get into as well. So really excited to have her here today. Viola Hug is a renowned mentor, thought-provoking writer and speaker in prosperity, healing, pleasure, and energetics. Best-selling author and host of the global charted Spirit Sex Money podcast. I love the name, of course. Expert <laughs> in individual energetics like human design and gene keys while activating power and healing through shadow and embodiment work for wealth and pleasure while dismantling the patriarchy making way for true fulfillment and success welcome to the show viola hello oh my goodness excited to be here yes so 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 excited um yeah and i i just want to say too like you know, being in your mastermind was a really cool experience for so many different reasons, but I just love your energy. I love the way that you show up. I love, you just seem to have like a love for life. And, um, mm -hmm. I just want to share it with everybody. So yeah. And it's, it's not always when you hire someone that they are the same as they were online. Right. And that sort of thing. So really appreciate the authenticity that oh. come through there. No, oh, that means a lot. Yeah. 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 Funny story. So, um, when we were in the mastermind, there was a, a, a voice chat, like a, a texting and chatting with it WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. And when I was with my husband, um, <laughs> Viola's name popped up on my phone and he goes, who's, who's voila. And I was like, oh, it's Viola. She's yeah. the leader of the mastermind I'm in. And he like paused for, you know, like 30 seconds. And he goes, are you sure it's Viola? Have you heard her say her name? Like, I think it's voila. I'm like, it's <laughs> not even a name voila but I thought it was funny because voila is like um like a manifestation word like voila. Yeah, exactly I know it's like the word that they when I was a kid people would say that when they like do like a magic trick you know and they'd be like voila. <laughs> it's kind of perfect I think you should start going by voila <laughs> <laughs> I believe the o and the i are the other way around but it's like maybe that could be my catchphrase voila viola <laughs> Okay, so what I want to start off with is hearing, okay, when in your life did you become awakened to spirituality, manifestation, the energetics, all the things that you now like teach about? I mean, I'm sure it happened in phases, but when did that happen for you and what changed in your life? Yeah, I think I've always been inclined to like the magical side of the universe. Just it is who I am. I know when I was like um, 10 and 11, I had um magical spells that I did my friend and I were so convinced we were witches like funny story but we um were so convinced that we were witches and that we had magical powers that we decided that we had to tell our parents because we could no longer live a lie and then we sat our parents down for a meeting and they kind of just like laughed it off as kids being cute and we were so mad that they didn't believe us we ran away <laughs> when I think back to that now I'm just like that is so funny we only made it away for half a night before we came back home because it was snowing and it was kind of just like not the best decision ever and we were planning to like run away to the big city and like become singers and witches oh <laughs> um but that wasn't really when I fully understood it I think that's when there was a piece of me that 
understood there was a magic beyond what we saw, but I had no real life um, experience or understanding of it. And so um, it was, like you said, it happened in phases, but I can point pinpoint it to like a couple of different um, things that happened. So that was like, you know, my 10, 11 years old. And when I was in my mid teens, I went through, um, I went through losing my dad to cancer. He passed away and that kind of put me into the spiral. And I, my mom, she was also seeking support and she, um, bought me a session with a clairvoyant. And so it was my first ever experience with someone like that. But I was so blown away by the detail that she was able to channel through messages from my dad. And like she captured my dad's persona and personality. And it just really shook me because this was like real life example of what I had always believed was possible, but I'd never experienced it for myself because, you know, firstly, I, through my I guess, societal upbringing, I had a lot of fear around magic and darkness and witches and demons and like all that kind of stuff. And so even though part of me was drawn to it, I had a lot of fear. And I remember I was so scared going to that appointment with the clairvoyant because I was so scared. She was going to tell me you're going to die on this day in this traumatic way, and you're never going to find love (laughs) and all of these things. Um, and so, but then the experience was so empowering and so healing and so beautiful that it kind of changed my perspective. But I was like, wow, some very, very unique people in this world have a very special gift. And that's kind of what I put it down to. And then my mom, my mom had a lot to do with this story, I guess, but she then introduced me to the movie, The Secret. And I was 18 years old at this point. I watched The Secret and I was like, I fucking knew it. I was like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And it was weird because it kind of like planted this little seed, but then I kind of went into a completely different direction in my life. It was kind of just like this affirmation for me that it was true, but because I was in a very dark space of healing, like I wasn't coping with, with, um, the grief of losing my dad very well. I was in a very dark era of my life. There was a lot of like self-harm in varying capacities and, um, I, I kind of, it planted that seed, but it went on the back burner for me. And I just went into continuing to, you know, be in that really dark era of my life until I was about 21, when I hit such a dark spot that I knew that it was like, I had this moment of just like, it's either life or death. Like you've got to choose now. And so I put myself into therapy at that point and I started remembering, oh my gosh, remember the secret, remember that law of attraction thing I heard, heard about. And I remember seeing like the Japanese water experience experiments where you like, um, put love and hate on water and it changes the molecules of the crystals. And I even got love tattooed on my body in like big, bold letters, because I was like, I'm going to be like the water molecules. I'm changing all of my water crystals. Like I'm in it to, to shift. And, um, yeah, that's kind of when I started to really think, hey, maybe this has some weight, but I still didn't really have like a full capacity understanding for it until a few years later when I was maybe 25, when that's when I really started to have a spiritual awakening and um, realize, hey, we're actually all psychic. We actually all have access to our um, intuitive powers. This happened somewhere between 25 to 29. I can't actually fully pinpoint it. All I know is that it wasn't until my Saturn return when I was 29-ish that I actually 
realized my own power, you know, like before I was kind of dabbling in it, but I was at the start, I was also very mixed up in kind of like the overly like toxic positivity side almost, you know, where it was very much like just think positive. And I suppressed so many of my own emotions. And so it was in my Saturn return, obviously. I'm also a line six in human design. So this makes perfect sense. But it was like through that stage, I basically had this like huge spiritual awakening where my gifts really opened up and I started being able to connect with my own spirit guides. And I started giving readings to people and I started to really play with this energy in a more intentional way. And through this, I started channeling concepts like the abundance vortex, which is a concept that I talk about, which really at its core is talking about manifestation. And all of these different things started coming through for me. So I was working with this energy a lot more. I built my business. That's when I started this business that I have now. I built my business around those concepts and through um, really immersing myself in that world. Also, when it got a lot deeper for me and I started understanding the potency of actually like no part of us we need to feel ashamed about and there is no such thing as like thinking negatively in terms of our manifestations because it's not just about a thought or an emotion we have it's about so much more than that it's about our you know continual interaction with the energy and so on and so forth but that that's the cliff notes of this very extended story I love it. So crazy. I'm someone who the secret was my, the secret book was my introduction to all of it. Um, So did you have a religious upbringing or? I, 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 it wasn't a strong religious upbringing, but it was like religious-esque, you know, like my parents were like raised Catholic and they went to church and we went to church on Christmas and like things like that. And so it wasn't like a hardcore religious upbringing, but I think it just was like by my surroundings, I was just naturally involved with those narratives. Um, and I, when I was like 14, I was kind of like, what's the meaning of life? And I decided I was Christian for like a year and then I changed my mind on that. Um, so I went to church and stuff for maybe a year at that stage. Um, yeah, but no, not super hardcore religious. Okay. Yeah. So interesting how it all unfolds for us. Right. And like, really, we're just getting started and who knows what's going to happen down the road, which is really crazy to think about too. Yeah, I know. I think about that all the time. I'm just like, I look back now and I'm just like, oh, cute. And then, and I think I'm like, so evolved now. And then (laughs) in another 10 years, I'll be like, no, Yeah. (laughs) but that's the journey of life. Yeah. 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 Okay, I have so many things I want to ask you about and talk to you about. I want to talk about pleasure a little bit. And this is something that you share a lot about. And it's really Mm -hmm. you um, have helped me like learn more about. So what's the connection between pleasure and creating success in our lives, whether that's, you know, inner success as well as outer success Mm -hmm. and how we may be blocking that and how we can kind of bring more of that in. Mm. To me, so Spirit Sex Money, which is like the title of my podcast, is something that channeled through to me when I was like in this. I, I call it my three great awakenings, right? Like I had my abundance awakening, which was all about like money and actually like in, experiencing um, an ex- internal experience of success and abundance before we experience it externally. And then um, I had my spiritual awakening and then I had my sexual awakening. And that was like the final blow for me because. I do think that a lot of the spiritual and and the business and the success and the money was very much like 
you know, we talk about heart-centered leadership. It was very much like heart and above. And there was this like neglect of like the deeper parts of ourselves, like our womb and our pussy and our like dirty parts and like, you know, not actually dirty parts, but like rolling in the mud wilderness energy, um, which is actually part of our humanness. And so we always talk about our spiritual experience and our connection with energy and all of these wonderful things. And that's such an important and fun and amazing part of being human, but our souls came to earth to experience polarity, to experience all of it. And unless we are centering ourselves within our humanness, we are missing half the point. <laughs> like we are really never going to experience. And so for me, the sex and the pleasure is about our human. It is how, how we're meant to experience and specifically the pleasure piece um, is something that impacts everybody globally, specifically women identifying people, because we are suppressed historically even more around sexuality and pleasure. And when I talk about pleasure, yes, I'm talking about sexual pleasure, but I'm literally talking about the pleasure and joy of being alive, of feeling things, of being able to be connected to our body, being connected to our emotions, being connected to all of the things that make us human and make this life worth living, right? And so um, the, the reason why pleasure became such a powerful piece of what I talk about is because when we are disconnected from being able to experience pleasure, we are disconnected from a huge piece of ourselves. And when that um, connection is linked with our sexuality and our ability to connect with that part of ourselves, that is our life force energy. That is our creativity. That is literally creation energy. Like the, the, um, it's not necessarily, you don't have to have a womb, but I often refer to the womb because it's such a powerful example. And, um, those who have a uterus will know it's like such, it's, it's a creative pot of power, but it's that sacral center that we all have, which is our connection to relationships, abundance, pleasure, creativity, and creation energy. And um, that when we reject a piece of ourselves, we reject our own sexuality, when we reject our own pleasure, we will never be the full expression version of ourselves. We'll never be as powerful as we could be. We'll never be the voice, the leader, the the experience of everything that could be for us. And that is that is essentially the biggest connection. I don't know if I answered all of your questions, but I thought I'd pause yeah. there to see where you want to take it. It's so so important because you're right. It's so suppressed. I mean, I have friends like obviously historically in, in, I think you're in Canada, right? I'm in the US. Like mm -hmm. for, for people that were our grandmothers and their grandmothers, like there was a lot more like actual suppression maybe, but even like my friends who went to Catholic high school and yeah. they were just taught like you're, you know, like sex is bad and masturbation. Like purity culture is so fucking toxic. Like, oh my God, it makes me sick. And there, th like we, there's more obvious aspects of suppression around sexuality not only just in our history but for us in Canada and U.S. more so in our history um obviously there's places like Iran right now where there's like this huge revolution happening around this like there's people experiencing extreme high levels of suppression around just anything to do with being a woman right now in the world but what's so interesting that I find is that us here in the the western world we are still so highly impacted specifically by 
internalized misogyny, like by the ways that we don't even notice that we're perpetuating narratives that women are of less value, that a woman, if she is sexual, is not whatever. But, you know, it's like those um, conflicting narratives. I saw this post on Facebook the other day and it was like, oh, women are like gold. They're, it's only valuable when you like find it deep covered protected by the earth but if you're just exposing yourself you lose your value and I was like what in the internalized misogyny is this <laughs> like this is just complete bs and there was like comments going back and forth of people being like I don't understand why women don't um are like saying that it's bad to want to be protected I'm like you do realize you are we are wanting to be protected from men <laughs> Like that is the problem. Anyway, I'm going on a side tangent, but we are still so faced with this in ways that we don't even notice. And that's why, like I say, like a huge part of my work is like, yeah, let's get more wealthy and abundant and, and pleasurable. But really we're like dismantling the patriarchy and we're like not perpetuating these toxic narratives because it is helping no one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Like I, I hope this isn't still a thing, but I feel like it probably is. Like when I was in high school and college, it was like, girls were supposed to be sexy right you had to be uh -huh. sexy but you couldn't actually be having sex because then you were a slut and like boys exactly and it's like all this pressure to have sex but then if you do you're a slut <laughs> is it still like that please say no I mean I don't know I'm not in high school but um it is it is a toxic narrative and it makes me so sad to see it to still see it being thrown around and um, this is why I have such a problem with like um things like religious you know like structural structured religious systems and things like that because they're one of the biggest perpetuators of those narratives and um like when you learn about uh purity culture like for example I'm impacted my upbringing I've been impacted by purity culture even though I wasn't raised strictly religious um, and yet I have so many internalized things that I still am working through that I'm like, this is not true. And it's like, no matter how hard I try to convince myself, I still find myself being wounded and holding back or feeling shame about things that are literally just like a natural part of our existence. Right. Like it's, yeah, it's so messed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I even have this this one memory. I don't think I've ever talked about this in the podcast. Um, and my parents obviously like were doing the best that they could and they did a lot of things right. But I don't think that parents in the 90s and still today, I'm sure most parents have no idea what to do in this situation. But I was at a birthday party. I think I might have been the only girl. I had an older brother. So I was often like with him and his friends. Mm -hmm. And I think it was like a birthday party and the boys were drawing penises on balloons. Mm -hmm. and I drew a penis on my balloon, right? I just wanted mm -hmm. to fit in. And my mom was like super pissed, right? Mm -hmm. And like, I'm like, of course, like whatever, but it was very much, in, you know, what did I internalize? I have to be, as a woman, I have to be more careful with sexuality because mm -hmm. it's not safe. It's not acceptable. Boys can be boys and draw as many dicks as they want and mm -hmm. it's fine. So it's like even little things like that. And, you know, mm -hmm. friends who- Friends Imagine if you drew a vulva. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, okay, so people who, like all of us, yeah. have been impacted by purity culture, whether or not we had, um, you know, went to Catholic school or whatever or not, what are some exercises we can do to get more comfortable with our 
with our vaginas, our pussies, our bodies and connect with ourselves and release Mm -hmm. some of that shame. Yeah. I think it really starts. My, my best tools for me have been my own willingness to get to know my own body and having a community or a person or someone that I can talk to about this stuff and feel safe within, right? And I mean, I try to make all of my spaces a safe space to talk about this kind of stuff just because I know how imperative that was for me to releasing shame. Because the thing with shame is it can't really exist in the light. It can only exist in the dark. Mm. And so most of us carry shame and we just don't talk about it right? Because we're, we carry so much shame. Like for example, self-pleasure, like I, oh my God, I would have died if somebody brought up self-pleasure and, you know, like I was just like, no gross. Like I, and even though I did it, I was like so embarrassed about it. And I, I remember like, if I did self-pleasure, I would feel immediately ashamed afterwards and guilty. And I'd regret doing it. I'd be like, oh, I'm so disgusting. Like, why would we say that to ourselves? (laughs) (laughs) so messed up anyway so the conversation of being able to bring that up even be able to talk about sex like I didn't even used to be able to talk about my period until a few years ago is how like disconnected I was from anything to do with my body um and how embarrassed I was and how much shame I held around it and so me starting to be like wait a minute I'm allowed to look at my own body and touch my own body um was a huge thing for me. And I remember the first time I brought it up with someone, I literally thought I was going to throw up. Like, I was like, I can't say it. I kept being like, Oh, one more thing. No, never mind, Never mind, Never mind. And it probably took me like, this was with the coach at the time, but it probably took me like three or four calls even to bring it up. Even though every single time I was like, I'm going to talk about this because it keeps coming up in my mind. And then I'd be like, no, it's not important. And Oh no, it's too embarrassing. And Oh no, like, you know, all these narratives. Um, but then as soon as I started talking about it, I started being like, oh, this person didn't like send me to hell and like, (laughs) I didn't burst into flames and oh my God, they want to talk about it too. You know, like it was just, I started to be like, oh, this actually isn't that big of a deal. So getting to know our own body, getting to know our anatomy, this is a really fun one. So the word pussy is a really fun rebellious term to use. Um, but you know, a lot of people, they call their anatomy a vagina, when the outer part, which is most of the time what we're talking about is actually a vulva, you know, like getting to know the anatomy, getting to use proper terms for our own body is like a huge start. And I know that sounds so simple, but this is how disconnected we've been. And this is like so embarrassing. I don't think I've ever said this out loud, but I didn't even know where my pee hole was until I was 27. Like that is so embarrassing. I don't even want to tell you how I found out, but it's like, I like, that's how little I knew about my anatomy. Um, and so I, I think that's honestly normal. I've, I have friends who, you know, I'm 30 and I have friends who never looked at their vagina. Yeah. The yeah. Vulva gazing. Very, very, very fun one. Right. You can just get a little mirror, have a look. It's just like at the beginning, it might feel cringy, but it's just like, Vulvas are just like so beautiful and so awesome. And now, like, I feel like I'm just like, oh my God, she's so cute and she's so awesome and she's so fiery and she said this. But back in the day, I was just like, oh, I can't look. Ugh. Oh my gosh, what are people going to think? <laughs> um, yeah, and it is normal. And I know that I have like lots of friends and I have a sister 
who's 12 years younger than me. And, and so sometimes it's interesting also talking, you know, at different age brackets, you have very different relationship with your sexuality, I feel, especially if you're just in the normal flow of things within society. And she says how like a lot of her friends, they say that they would never self-pleasure. They would just get, you know, a guy to do that for them because they wouldn't do that to themselves. And it's just like really sad how internalized this idea is, is that us being connected to our own bodies is somehow wrong, but it's fine for a guy to do it, or it's fine for this, or it's fine if somebody else does it to us or whatever it is when um, that disconnect is, is a rejection of self. It is a rejection of your own power. It is a rejection of your right to pleasure, abundance, joy, all of the things that you innately are here to experience. So getting comfortable with ourselves is the first step. Um, it pays to have somebody in your circle who you feel like you can talk to about it. Just because, like I said before, um, when you talk about things and you bring light to things, the shame will alleviate. Um even if you don't have somebody to talk to, you can maybe even journal about it or write about it, like write about it in a like secret note and then delete it afterwards. If you're, you know, if, if it feels too embarrassing or awkward at first. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely some of the first things that I would recommend doing. Um, and then from there, there's so many other things that you can do, like gentle self pleasure practices that either involve or don't involve the vulva you know like you can you can just have a self-pleasure practice that involves you giving your arms a massage or gently tickling your body or massaging your breasts or all these different things as well um, and that's really just about building a connection with you and your body because the truth is most people are completely disconnected from their body yeah yeah it's really important because I feel like if you're not comfortable with self-pleasure then often there may not be as pleasure as much pleasure for you in intercourse with your partner right because mm -hmm. there's some fear down there there's some shame whatever um and just not knowing what you like and being comfortable asking for it and so it's like and that's such an important part of our experience and health and mental health benefits mm -hmm. of of masturbation are huge and of yeah. sex yeah and I think it's like, everyone's going to have a different experience. And I think it's important to note that we ebb and flow. Like sometimes you might really feel like it. Sometimes you might not. Some people, um, you know, who, who are asexual may experience it in completely different ways as well. But um, ultimately, I believe that our connection with our bodies and our pleasure gets to be our own unique expression. It gets to be sexual or sensual or playful or, you know, rough and crazy like wild or it gets to be like soft and gentle like it, and it gets to be all those different things at different times and sometimes we might um want it more and sometimes we might want it less but finding a way to connect with your pleasure regardless of the capacity which is essentially just finding a way to feel connected to the sensation in your body right if you're confused about what I mean with pleasure it's like connecting to the sensation in your body in some form or another get a massage take a hot bath like put on really soft clothes like something that gets you thinking about hey what is my body actually feeling right now and how can I enjoy it that if you're finding some way to do that on a regular basis that's going to continue to build that you know we talk about mind body soul connection and your body 
is a tuning fork. Your body is a guide. Your body is a channel to all of these things that we use in manifestation that we um, utilize to be the best version of ourselves, that we utilize to make money, to build connections, to be powerful, to be creative, to be a great partner, to be a great friend. Um, Like all of these things, like our body is really the centerpiece as much as energetically, there's all these fun things going on, or we cannot neglect our body. Like it is just impossible as humans. It comes with the deal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like getting really present in those moments too. And for me, I had such a hard time um, for a long time, like being present during sex with my husband, like my Mm -hmm. mind would just be somewhere else. And I remember saying to him one day, as I realized this was an issue, I said, I I find that I'm um, self-conscious a lot during sex. I'm worried about like, am I doing it right? And I said to him, do you, do you worry about any of that? And he's like, no, absolutely not. I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. yeah, men probably don't as much, although I'm sure some do, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I think getting really still in those moments, whether it's a hot bath, a massage, like, can you stay present during the massage and really like really feel it without getting lost in your mind? Because we distract ourselves to avoid pleasure. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly and like what you just said before is like getting present with the sensation like that's the most important thing like when you notice your mind wander it's like hey what am I feeling right now and it doesn't need to be the pressure of like oh I need to orgasm or no I need to do that because that's also a very goal orientated um perspective which is like what society wants but really the majority of the pleasure the majority of the experience the majority of the whole point happens on the journey not the destination right like when you hit a goal that's fleeting It's just like you hit the goal, but it's everything that led up to that, who you became, what you were experiencing, how you felt, all of those things that actually culminate the experience. And so sex as an example, it's like you can be so goal orientated and then there's so much pressure in society around that as well, which like that's a whole conversation around like changing the narrative around sex really, because it's, I don't think it's a very healthy narrative. And especially because anyway, I'm not even going to go down that road, but everything's so heterosexual based and blah, 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 that week and male focused that it really like we get lost, especially as women within what's our role and are we doing it right? And, oh, did I do the laundry? And, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be, you know, doing this, that, um, it's like, if we just bring ourselves back into the moment and we just go, what am I feeling right now? And like, what does it feel like? And, and bringing our attention to the places that we are feeling sensation in our mind that one trains our body to accept pleasure. And you can really notice where you're rejecting pleasure and you're rejecting receiving and you're rejecting letting things come to you and letting yourself be ravished by the universe. Um, and it builds that mind body connection again um, and allows you to, um, shift that and it is it is kind of sad but it's also not surprising that a lot of people feel uncomfortable to even have these conversations with their partners mm-hmm. um but it is it is worth having those conversations even if they're uncomfortable um because you know your partner should absolutely be your safe space and um because everybody carries so much stuff sometimes it feels awkward but once that line's open it just can feel so much better and so much more communication can can flow through and yeah 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 I used to be terrified to talk about sex with my husband until like maybe a year or two ago you know Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. yeah it's it was definitely so uncomfortable but it's it's just moving through that you're not going to die right we won't die if we bring up sex hopefully (laughs) yeah 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, in some places, unfortunately, that's not the truth, but we are, you know, I'd bet that the majority of the people listening to this podcast are in places where that would be acceptable. Yes, yes, hopefully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to segue a little bit into entrepreneurship business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what you were just saying about like the the fleeting, like when you hit the goal, it's like fleeting and we have to enjoy the journey. I feel like that is just such a challenging thing in the online business space because I mean, I, I came from a background of working in sales. So I was used to the ups and downs and the roller coaster and like wanting to hit the number and blah, 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 blah. blah. And, um, I remember just like, I would be like at the grocery store and someone would be bagging my groceries and I would be like, man, to have a job where you just do your job and there's no goals. Holy crap. That'd be so nice. And then of course I started a business, which is sales. And I think a lot of people don't realize that they just want to help people, right? We have a lot of healers in this space. They want to do chart readings. They want to be a life coach or whatever it is. And then they realize, okay, it's a lot more selling than I knew or the ups and downs and the whatever. Anyways. Um, yeah. How can we, how can we start to, so we talked about this a lot in the mastermind that I was in with you detaching our worth from the numbers and the outcomes. Cause that is so hard when you're in a business like this, what are some things people can do who are realizing that their entire mood is based on how many Instagram likes they got that day or whatever, you know, especially when it's their business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a hard one because as much as I do see a shift in the way business is done, you know, like even when I started my business, I always talked about like, oh, my business is like new paradigm. It's not old paradigm where it's all about hustle and all about targets and all about competition. It's like about energy and building it your own way and being unique and all these different things. But because we are still so tied to like a very overcapitalistic society, um, even within the industry of spirituality and helping people and like heart-centered business, there are a lot of um, concepts uh, like from the patriarchy and from this overcapitalistic perspective that still are kind of like riding themselves through like what you just said like we attach our mood our worth how powerful we feel all of these different things to the results that we get if we launch a program it's only a good program if a lot of people join but if nobody joins then you're not good at what you do the program sucks you know and if nobody liked your post it was a crap post if no all the things right when that's actually completely inaccurate and I have this real like I don't, it's, it's a realization I've been having. It's like, I find it so interesting that someone might be new at their business. Like, let's say, for example, you just started your business and you somehow feel lesser on the hierarchical scale than somebody who makes more than you or somebody who's been doing it longer than you. When firstly, how powerful you are has nothing to do with anybody else. And secondly, just because the avenue of what you are doing is new who you've become to create it is a lifelong journey and that is not new and your power is just as powerful as if you were already highly successful. And so questioning some of these narratives around like, why do I do what I do? And hey, I'm noticing that my my mood and my belief in myself is really being swayed by these um, results in my business. 
the first step is really questioning those things and starting to realize that they're not actually rooted in any sort of truth. They're just narratives that are flying around the sky that people are accepting and perpetuating left, right, and center. <laughs> um, and it is your job to realize which ones are not a truth that you want to align yourself with. And then it is hard work, but it is your job to start to see how would I make decisions differently if this wasn't true. So for example, if you're believing that your post social media post is only good when it gets lots of likes, then you realize, well, that's not true because what if the, you know how sometimes Instagram has blackouts and let's say you just channeled this incredible post and you posted it and then Instagram has a blackout and nobody sees anybody's posts, Instagram's not loading. And then by the time Instagram loads again, yours is like way off the algorithm. It's already like boomed way down. Down, it's missed its chance of being pushed out to people does that mean that it's not as good just because an algorithm made it so no it has nothing to do with that like your voice is powerful and it is your job to trust that what you have to share is powerful is important is needed regardless of the external validation of that and that really kind of brings back me back to the whole point is so many of us seek external validation before we experience something, but we cannot experience something unless we allow ourselves to experience it without the external proof. And I know that sounds like a little bit of a catch 22, but it's like all of the work that I've done around abundance is like abundance if you're always waiting to hit a goal before you feel abundant or like let's say you're you're waiting for a program to sell out before you feel powerful or good at what you do you will never experience that because even when you sell out the program it's going to be the next one and the next one's going to need to have more people in it or it's not as good and it's like this moving the goalpost right this like what's next what's next what's next and you're not ever actually giving yourself the opportunity to experience it and that mentality not only is an energy that's opposing to the energy of success and abundance, <clears throat> therefore it's not manifesting it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, I was doing like tons of recordings before this. So my voice is like, oh, we've been talking for a long time. Anyway, um, and then um, it also robs us of experiencing all of the success, power, joy, abundance that we actually currently have in our experience. And we are not naturally inclined to be this way because of how we're conditioned in society. But when we allow ourselves to be grateful for what we have, we notice the abundance that we have. We bring ourselves back to truly being able to enjoy who we are, what we are right now. That's actually literally the secret to manifesting more. <laughs> it's a mind fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it can feel a little bit like a contradiction because it's like on yeah. one hand, we have to be surrendered and grateful for what we have. And um, and on the other hand, we're going to have goals and things that we desire to work towards and things we want to create because that's part of the experience too. So it's like balancing the two of those. Yeah, exactly. And I think the problem that we see is that people are putting too much weight on who I need to become versus, hey, whoa, I'm noticing this is who I am. I just channeled this really incredible post. I'm so grateful that I'm able to share my message. I'm so proud of myself for showing up today. Like we, we are constantly like, oh, I need to be consistent and post every single day so that my Instagram algorithm is more beneficial. <laughs> you know, like we get into these thought patterns and there's like really interesting parts of human design as well that can shine a light on like our different motives and motivations as we've talked about in the mastermind, Leah. But um, 
even without knowing those things, it's still about um, like the surrender part and the, the work that we have to do internally is really doing our best to actually be like, how can I be as happy and proud of myself and feel as powerful as I can right now without expecting it to come later? Because then when you're in this energy, it's like, if you imagine um, the energy of like, I'm building my business based on, I want, I'm doing this so that I can make this much money so that I feel really powerful or so that I can tell people that I make five figure months because that seems to be a really hot selling point for coaches online or whatever, right? Like when we get into these narratives like that, then it's like, we're building our business with always feeling one step behind. And it's like always trying to catch up. And that energy is, is even though you can still create results in that energy it's not that you can't create results it's still an energy of it's fleeting right it's not enough I'm not enough there needs to be more and when you come back into your own space and you say I am so fucking powerful right now and you genuinely sink into your own energetic field with that knowing then it's like that day you might feel like not working or you might feel like going on and doing like a two hour free webinar, or you might feel like selling this course or this offer, but it's like the motivation behind that isn't, I need to figure out how to make this work. And I need to be the person who's going to create this so that I can um, have a better sales pitch or so that people believe me or so that I feel worth it. It's just like, I am this powerful. And now I get to play with how I want to show up based on that. And that energy is so potent. I'm experiencing it in real time right now. Like I'm kind of experimenting with my business in a new way. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm doing nothing because, you know, I, I used to be, even though I've always built my business with like energetic alignment first and everything, it's a, it's a completely different ball game now. Cause I'm challenging a lot of these narratives in my own mind. And, um, I'm quote unquote doing nothing, but it's like, when I do something, it's so powerful. Like since coming back from maternity leave, which has been like a couple months now, it's like every single thing that I do just like has an insane, like a, a wild amount of results. And I feel like I'm essentially doing nothing like that mastermind that I launched. I think I only launched it for one week um, before I opened the doors or less than that. And it had 18 people sign up. And in the past, I would launch masterminds for like six weeks and have like three or four people sign up, right? And it was different pricing structure and everything, but it's not about that. It's just about how easy it is when there's like more self-trust, more pleasure first, more I trust my power no matter what at the forefront and not making it mean anything whether or not people sign up or, or not, right? Like it is a completely different way of experiencing your own energy and then one way feels powerful the whole way through and one feels like you're only just catching up yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's like what like why do we want to make tons of money and have tons of followers and have tons of outer success it's because we we think we'll feel whole yep. and complete and good enough and have freedom because mm -hmm. the money will buy us freedom but will it when you're stuck in that on that hamster wheel the hedonic treadmill of needing the next thing Mm -hmm. being obsessed yeah. forward exactly and there's nothing wrong like the thing is is that I want a huge audience because I also see myself as somebody who's impacting millions of people through my message that's fine but also I get to feel good enough when I'm impacting one person when I'm impacting the 10 people that that 
liked my post that day or the 50 people that saw my story or whatever it is like I get to feel just as powerful and it's like one of the the sayings that came through to me oh I don't know when sometime this year was more is inevitable and irrelevant because when you're on this path of pursuing what you want to pursue and living your purpose and and creating a business and a life that feels really good for you the growth is inevitable like unless you're um like i think the way we sabotage ourselves is through our head of all the things we think we should be doing versus just trusting everything that we are right that's honestly the biggest mistake we're making but it's like when we just really enjoy ourselves and get into this space um the the fact that a new idea is going to come you're going to be inspired you're going to heal you're going to impact someone you're going to sign the client you're going to you know do this launch and you're going to have another one like that the fact that there's more is inevitable you don't need to wonder how can i make more how can i do more how can i do because all of that is literally inevitable and it's irrelevant in the fact of you being able to trust your power now, you being able to enjoy what you have now, you being able to um, design your day the way that feels really good for you. You know, like one of the things I always used to say as well is like build your business the way you want to experience it. Don't wait until you have X amount of dollars or X amount of clients or X amount of whatever before you set up your day and your schedule in a way that feels good for you. No, because by the time you get there, you would have built that on the expectation of how you're building it. And so changing it is going to change the way you receive. But if you build your business from day one with like, hey, I'm honoring my self-care first and foremost hey, I'm only going to launch things that feel really good for me, not just because everyone else is doing it and it feels like the next hot thing I should be doing. I'm only, you know, like I'm going to do this in a way that feels good for me now so that when I have the results, it's going to only amplify what I've created rather than me then suddenly giving myself permission to change it, but then having all of the pressure to keep things the way they are because that's what you did to have the results that you have. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about living from desire instead of the shoulds and desire is our intuition. So it's like us doing what feels good and what makes us happy. It it also leads us to having better results. So it it's funny how that works, but it's yeah. truly listening to yourself and what you need and what feels good. Yeah, and challenging the narratives that make you feel otherwise, I think is so important too, because unless we challenge those things in our own mind, we subconsciously continue to live into them. Like I was talking about before with the internalized misogyny and feeling shame around self-pleasure like unless we challenge those thoughts in our own mind they're just going to continue to um flow into all of the areas of our life that is connected to that particular energy yeah absolutely so related to this is the the way that you had set up the mastermind that I joined was pay what you can and it's funny because I wasn't following you on Instagram at the time but I was listening to your podcast um and so I was feeling like I really wanted to join a mastermind. And I felt like that was how I wanted to be supported right now. And so I was journaling, like that came up in my journaling. And I was like, okay, like whose mastermind would I join? You know, like asking goddess, my intuition, my connection to source. And um, you and one other person like came up mm-hmm. in my journal. And mm-hmm. it was so interesting that uh, like you, you for one happened to be launching a mastermind, right? Which is not mm-hmm. always I'm sure you're not every day to your page on Instagram and you were launching mastermind and it was, Hey, what you can, which turned out to be such an interesting experience in and of itself, you know? Um, so can you talk about 
what that means and, and why you decided to create that model of pricing? Yeah. So at the beginning, I didn't even realize how powerful it would be. It was just, I kept having this intuitive hunch to do something that was pay what's aligned, pay what you want, pay what you can, like whatever, right? Like it was like this feeling of just being totally unattached to what the payment was, but creating a space where I felt like I was really supporting people, right? Because I, I, I come from a place where I've built my business to be very like exclusive, I guess, like prior to my maternity leave, um, to work with me for one month was nearly a five figure investment. And, um, that was just, I was playing in that field. I was working with people who are already making a lot of money and I had other offers on, on the table as well, but I just was really playing in that realm. And I've been doing so much work the past few years on deconditioning, um, beliefs around worth and money and, and also being really heightenedly aware because of things happening in our world of like my own privilege and um the the oppressive systems that are in place and and you know I've been constantly asking myself like how can I be more inclusive but in a way that still really honors my time and what I'm creating and what I'm doing and you know I was just like and then I had this like little nudge and I created it and it was like as soon as I launched it I everything just like fell into place and I was like this is why this is so important and the the basis of it was that I really wanted to challenge people's own belief of their experience with money. And it was also incredibly healing for me. Um, baseline being how we tie our worth and our value and our power to money. Because a lot of us believe that um, we need to invest more in order to have more results, because that's a common narrative. Now I'm realizing it's quite a toxic narrative. You can invest more, but you do not have to, to get specific results. You don't even have to be investing to have incredible results. Like that is an optional thing for you. It's a great idea. Like it's fun and it's awesome. But if you're not in a place where that's serving you in whatever way, you do not have to do it. And then I, it was so interesting because I start having these conversations with, with people and they're like, oh, it's making me really uncomfortable that you say, pay what you want. And I'm like, well, pay what you want. I'm like, yeah, but how much? And I'm like, what you want? What's aligned for you right now? Like what feels like it's going to activate you to show up in this space and get the value that you want from this space and is where you're at right now. Like whatever, right? Like you, maybe this is all you can invest or maybe this is the stretch that feels really, really good for you and what you want to invest. Um, and I had someone send me a message and they said, well, I have a price that I feel comfortable investing, but I know your value. And I feel like I would be insulting you if I paid it. And I thought, huh, this is another beautiful layer to, um, uncover because it's like, I, my value is not based off how much somebody pays me. It just won't ever be. It is not based on how much I earn. It is not based on how much someone pays me or how much I charge just as much as somebody else's value and what they will receive and how powerful they are is also not based on how much they charge, how much they invest, how much they receive, whatever. And so that was really like, that was a really powerful moment for me to realize how important this was. And as you know, I didn't even intend this to be a really big part of the mastermind, but it happened to be um, how much everybody received a different kind of activation or healing from this experience of being able to pay what they wanted and entering the mastermind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I find that investing can be huge, right? Like for me, mm -hmm. when I was recording my audiobook, mm -hmm. I 
discovered that there was no way in hell I could get my, it would have been for me to try to record it in my house and get the sound perfect because Audible wants it perfect and mm -hmm. myself, right? It made a lot of sense for me to hire that out. Mm -hmm. And that was a sort of significant investment, right? Like so I'd have mm -hmm. to sell, I will have to sell a lot of audiobooks to get that money back, but mm -hmm. it took it off my plate. It felt really good. I had to follow that desire. And I think mm -hmm. that's part of the power of investing. It can be a coach. It can be anything, your health, a health um, care, you know, whatever, whatever you desire, but it's mm -hmm. following desire and it's investing what will sometimes stretch you, right? Sometimes investing um, what feels expensive can stretch you. But the mm. thing is, what's expensive to me is not what's expensive to someone else, to someone else, right? It could be very little money or it could be way more. And so the idea and the industry that we all need to be spending these, these amounts that to some people is going to throw your nervous system into overdrive and mm -hmm. throw you into desperation around money. And now you're not in a place of feeling abundant because you just paid um, something that really was not an alignment for you financially because you should, because that's how you become successful. Like that's the narrative that I feel like you're dismantling through this. And I love that you're sharing this now, you know, after, after the mastermind, it seemed like, cause we all had questions about it and it was a big thing. And um, yeah, I think you're making a big impact in that way. Cause it is really toxic to tell people like, like if you, if you really desire to work with a coach and the only way you can do it is putting on a credit card, that's a choice you have, mm -hmm. but I would never like tell someone to do that. Or like, I don't want people to feel like that's what you need to be doing. Right. Because exactly. that might make your body feel unsafe. Yeah. And it's been interesting because I know that like, there's a time in my business where I invested more than I was making a month on the feeling I would make more, you know, just because I, I like intuitively it was the right decision for me now that my, you know, I have two kids, I'm in a completely different, I was traveling full-time at the time, very unpredictable expenses, but it was just me and my husband, you know, like we were chill, but now it's like that I have a family. Like, I don't know if I would make that same decision because I have a completely different set of priorities and, um, at the time my priority was just like really investing high level, like learning from somebody who, you know, I was brand new to the game, like that kind of thing. And versus now it's like, I don't waver the trust in my work or my power as much anymore. And so it's, it's not the same, like an investment for me is a very specific thing. And it's been so interesting for me as well to work on dismantling this because this narrative is also so deeply tied to hierarchy. And I believe that it robs us of a lot of the magic and synergy that could be happening between people. Or like, for example, in the past, I, I had this real belief that I've invested this much. So next time I need to invest more in order for me to keep growing. Yeah. And I had you know, my first coach say that to me, she said, oh, well, you know, when people stop working with me, they stop growing and I just keep going. And I was like, I kind of internalized that. I, I didn't notice it at the time, but years later I was like, huh, interesting. Like, I really don't believe that. That is not what I believe. And, um, and it's also not the proof that I've seen. It is so not true, but it's like, now if like, if I can, um, know my power and I can, and I can trust in my power um, without 
it being attached to where I am on the hierarchy or who I'm working with or whatever, if I can just trust my power, then it like in its own realm, then that's good. And I can also learn from anybody else in my space. Like somebody else might have a really potent thing that I can learn whether or not they're earning more than me or whether or not they've been in business longer than me. It kind of eliminates that. And, and I'm very, like, I care a lot about what I do. I care a lot about the people in my world and I love the connection that I build with people. And, um, it never sat right with me to be like, oh, I'm not gonna ask you how your family is after we stop working together because you're not my client anymore or because I used to be your coach or like weird things like that like those things just never felt right with me it's just like I'm interested in you because I'm interested in you and we got to know each other and I like that and um yeah it's been really cool for me because I'm like allowing myself to learn from people who are brand new you know someone who's got a brand new Instagram and I'm like hey this post is really interesting like how can I let this sit with me rather than just like, oh, it's a new account. Can't be as powerful as my account that I've had for however many years. Just not true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right that it goes along with all the things from society that we don't like about the corporate world, mm-hmm. right? Like some things that are really talks about the corporate world. We've certainly brought them into the coaching industry, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, mm-hmm. Value based on their title and their status and whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely find that I'm still um, judging people based on how many followers they have, my perception of their level of authority, right? Mm -hmm. Based on their number of followers or how big they, how much money they say they're making or how much, Mm -hmm. um, whatever, right? Those things that we, um, I would like to, like my ultimate life, Mm -hmm. I don't care how many followers I have or how many followers someone else has or any of this, Mm -hmm. but like you said, like, um, and I actually remember asking you about this in the mastermind too. Like, of course I want to have a big following. I want, you know, tons of people to listen to this podcast. I want millions of people to buy my book because I think it's important messages. And I, I love people to have those perspectives available to them. And I think it's great. Yeah. But I, and some people are just called yeah. to impact on high levels and that's awesome. You know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So what are and some it- things that you've done that have helped you to like, kind of feel like less of that, like, like even that playing field and and not feeling as judgmental about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think it's like also worth noting that it's like, it's, we're not aiming for perfection here. We're, we're aiming for noticing where these narratives are playing into our own experience and challenging them. Just like I said before, it's like, I still notice myself being like, oh, this or the, oh, that or whatever. And also I, I will say it's like the number of followers we have as an example, oh, it doesn't matter, but also it really does matter because each of those people is an individual person and they're invested in learning from you. And that's an honor, you know, they're invested and interested in what you have to offer and what you have to say, that's an honor. And it's like, it's kind of similar to what I was talking about before. It's like, you really care, but you don't care, right? It's like, you're not caring about how many people you have as, um, as, a reflection of your worth or your power, but you're also in huge respect and in honor and in gratitude of the fact that you are continually calling more people into your space and that what you're doing is making a difference and your message is being heard by more people and you're continuing to grow and impact. And you can be proud of yourself for your resilience and the fact you're showing up. Like it's this, it's, it's like almost like challenging ourselves to switch the perspective of why we do the things that we do and, and what it means, right? It doesn't, 
just, and also it's like, if somebody's making a certain amount of money, that can be really cool as well to learn from. And we need to be mindful of where we're placing ourselves on the level of worth in that ladder, where we're placing other people based on that, right? Like it's, I think the biggest thing to do is exactly what I said before is just continue to challenge those beliefs, like pay attention to where you want to change things. These conversations like this are so important because they bring awareness to things you might not have noticed before about your own process, about your own power, about your own success that then allow you to reconstruct and dismantle the ways that you've been just handed this belief to this place of like, hey, let me create more harmony and joy and abundance in my experience by challenging these thoughts and not expecting it to change overnight being having compassion for ourselves when we notice ourselves judging someone or whatever like we're not aiming for perfection I'm not saying that I sit here being like oh oh my god I'm so peaceful all the time like (laughs) no not at all I'm feisty and I'm fiery big time but I know that when it comes to the work that I do and the success that I want to experience, I don't want my life and how I live to be hinged on this idea that something external is deciding how powerful, impactful, or happy I can be. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so important. I love it. Yeah. And it's not about perfection. I think that that's another thing that we tend to bring into the spirituality world and everything you know is making it's it's very human to like primates and many different types of primates have hierarchies you know and it's a tribal community like dog packs have a leader like it's natural to look for leaders and although that's been proven that's been proven not true which which part Uh, the like leader of the pack thing that's been proven not true oh really yeah I was reading something about it the other day (laughs) What was it? Share. Um, I, I don't, re- I'm not good with details with okay. this kind of stuff, but it was something about like the whole alpha male and like wolves and like dogs and that kind of stuff is not actually true. Like it is, like it was like a concept and a lot of like studies or whatever were built around the concepts, but they have now realized that it's not actually true. That was just an idea. But when you actually look at the interworkings of it, it it's not actually true. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I know. I found it really interesting. And there's also like um, studies around like, um, uh, it's like a really famous study, not good with re- recalling details. So I can't tell you the name of the study, but I'm sure if you Googled it, it would come up, but it was with like monkeys or chimpanzees or something like that. And um, it was very much like, you know, um, leader of the pack, hierarchy, um, the males were very dominant over the females and that kind of thing. But then something happened and all the males ate like bad fish and died. And so it was only women left and babies. And when the women raised the next generation, all of that stuff was gone. Wow. Literally none of it was there. And then all of the males that came after that didn't have that same level of hierarchy and, and suppression and all that kind of stuff so it's like really interesting and I think that there's narratives in our society that it's just like in our blood to be this way and it it really isn't (laughs) like we're evolved to the point where we have control over those aspects of ourselves actually a lot more than some previous studies may have shown Oh, that is so good. Okay. I'm going to look into that. That's super, super interesting. Yeah, I know. I wish I could give you details and names of studies, but that is oh, not I my strong suit. <laughs> I'm not someone who's, yeah, that's like, I remember trying- outcomes, not details. Right. Right. That's like trying to teach like the quantum 
physics side of manifestation. Like I've read all the books and I have an understanding, but can I teach it? Absolutely fucking not. Like not in a way where I'm like remembering yeah. the details of the studies. And yeah. Yeah. Unless it's something that becomes a special interest for me, it's, it's gone out of my yeah. brain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the last thing that I wanted to talk to you about, okay, so one of the reasons why I actually was drawn to you, decided to hire you, wanted to bring you on the podcast Mm -hmm. is because you do, um, you're really open about things and you do things in a way that is a little bit different than what I'm used to in some areas. And I'm really desiring to be open-minded. That's really important to me. I want to be open-minded. I want to learn and, um, you're a great person to learn from in some of these ways. So I wanted to ask you about you raising your children. Mm-hmm. Are you raising them? I, this may be incorrect, but non-binary. Is that what you consider it? Yeah, it, it falls under the term of gender creative parenting. Okay. Can you mm-hmm. tell us about this and like what drew you to this style of parenting? Yeah, sure. So when I talk about like dismantling the patriarchy as a part of my work, like I really mean it in all areas. Um gender being a huge part of that. And I am going to preface this conversation by saying, I, if we would have had this conversation three years ago, I was highly triggered by this conversation. I remember my friend's brother was raising their kid, um, gender non-conforming or gender creative or whatever. And I was like, why would you do that? You know, like I was really heated about it. And then of course I learned more about it. And I was like, oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> um, but I didn't really consider this until I had my first, which they're um, almost two and a half now. And it wasn't until after that, that I started to realize like how many stereotypes are pushed, even when you don't think like, even when you're like, I'm open-minded, blah, blah, blah. The amount of stereotyped things that are pushed onto a child based on the least interesting about them, which is their sexual organs is literally so weird so mind-boggling like I couldn't believe it once I started to see it and and for me it's been like always important to just raise incredible humans and to let them be exactly who they are and as somebody who's been really fighting to discover who I am after almost 30 years of being told who I am by society by conditioning by the external world not feeling safe around my own body not feeling connected to my own um sexuality my own gender like or like all of these things were just like things I've been told that I was and I've had to work to figure out is this really who I am right and I like say one of my main concepts of success is the more you you become the easier successes because you are designed to experience success and abundance just innately the problem is is that we have so many distorted perspectives of ourselves that it's harder to become successful because it's like we're trying to see through all this murky glass when really we can just remove it and be like oh there it is (laughs) um and so um it was like a culmination of my um like I had family members who were doing this work and kind of on their own gender discovery journey I was on my own gender like dismantling beliefs and learning more about it for to be an ally but then also realizing that I fall under that spectrum and then um for my children it was just realizing that I didn't want to raise them in a way where stereotypes are just pushed upon them and so our way is kind of gender creative ish like publicly I refer to my kids with they them pronouns and I'm not it's not that we're raising them non-binary. It is just that we don't really 
like to disclose, especially to people in public, what their like anatomy sex is um, so that ideas aren't perpetuated onto them. Do people assume their gender? All of the time. Literally, no matter what, when we go out, somebody's saying he or she or whatever to our child, and that's fine. We just let people assume. We're not like holding other people to that, but within the way that I speak about my children publicly, I always refer to them with they, them pronouns, but we still do use gendered terms sometimes just because that's not a change we implemented until my first was already a little bit older. And like, we have a lot of family who don't get it and that's fine. But, you know, we're just like kind of easy and chill with that, but we're doing our best to offer a variety of experiences that aren't tied. Like, you know, we're buying typical boy clothes or typical girl clothes and letting our toddler decide what they want to wear or taking them shopping and just letting them run around and see what they like. What colors do they stand out without being like, that's the boy section, that's the girl section or, you know, and, and, and being careful not to use gendered terms for when we're reading books, just based off somebody's appearance, appearance or things like that. Um, and then when they're old enough to have a preference, we'll respect that preference. And that usually happens from what I've learned around four years old. Um, they, that's when kids really start to understand the concept of gender and our child might say, hey, I really feel more this or more that or neither or both. And we'll be like, cool, we'll let you play with that. And um, it's really just about letting them express themselves exactly as they are through clothes or activities or whatever they want to do. Yeah, so fascinating. Yeah, I know. Oh. I'm still fascinated by it myself. I'm like, hey, that's kind of cool. <laughs> well so okay so a lot of people who are tuning in are like in the spiritual community they're into the woo-woo they're into astrology they're into holistic health they're having home births right they're doing things different mm -hmm. um having big wild dreams that nobody understands mm -hmm. With, you've obviously done some things like you're doing some things now and you've done things different than is conventional um what do you say to someone who's struggling with friends and family who don't get it oh man um I think it's important to let ourselves remember not everybody has to get it. Mm -hmm. Man, when I let that pressure go, you know, like I said before, oh, we don't like enforce our family to use non-gendered pronouns. It's because we literally know they're not going to get it. <laughs> we, we've had, you know, little conversations about it and it's just like whoosh, over their head. <laughs> um, and so it's like, that is not to me, when I think about the grand scheme of things, it is not the most important thing that everybody always gets everything that I'm doing. And that takes a lot of work because we want our loved ones to get us and we want them to support us exactly as we are. And we want them to believe in us, but it's like one of those like choose your battles things. Like sometimes we do educate and sometimes we do talk about it and we do spend time and other times we don't. And sometimes we spend all this time talking about it and they don't get it. And sometimes they do get it. And either way it's our job within ourselves to like really let go of that and hopefully find somebody that we can connect with who gets it whether it's an online community our partner someone else um you know like our, it's funny with our family because a lot of them have gotten to the point now where they realize like we really are just always going to do what we want to do and they don't even we're just like oh we're doing this and they're just like okay <laughs> you know like with my um, last birth I um did a home birth and even though it was like not planned, planned, not planned, um, 
I birthed before calling my midwives just because I really desired autonomy in my birth. And it was just a really awesome experience for me. And our family's just like, it's almost like they just roll our eyes. They're like, of course you did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, oh. But it took a while to get there. Like I remember when I was younger, it was just like every time we said anything, it was like condescending comments. It wasn't supportive. It was all this. And so, yeah, releasing the pressure for needing everyone to, to understand and also finding people who do understand is going to be really, really helpful. Mm, so, so good. Amazing. I could literally talk to you for hours, um, but I'm sure you have somewhere important to go, like seeing your baby who yes. I know I can feel my um boobs starting to leak milk. So <laughs> I'm sure someone's hungry. <laughs> Sorry. How old is your youngest baby? Um five months. Oh so yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Okay, so people are gonna want to find you and dive deeper into these concepts with you and learn from you. How can they do that? So Viola Hug is my handle on essentially everything. I do have like a couple of TikTok accounts, but you can find them all linked through my Viola Hug account and Instagram, TikTok. Um, and then violahug.com has a link to my email list, which is kind of like the next most place I'm active. And if you want to listen to me, my podcast, Spirit Sex Money. Yes, such a good one. Okay, thank you so much. This was amazing. Thanks for being on the thanks show. So oh my gosh. Thank you so much. And thanks to everyone who's listening. And the, those of you who made it through, um, I'm definitely open for a DM if you ever have more questions. Yes, we love it.